Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald, and today we have a great show for you guys. It's going to be super interesting, and uh, we have a really interesting article that's going to uh, cap off the show today. Uh, so we have a ton coming for you today, so get ready for a great show coming along. All right, so without further ado, uh, let me get this going here, and... Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to work right, but uh, we're going to head to uh, the here, and uh, we're joined by happening? by uh, Vertical <laughs> Grizzlow here. Uh, Hello, everyone. I, this was just working just before we were on the stream where we do our kind of pre-show prep, and literally all of a sudden, 44 seconds in, uh, Discord decided to do a little switch on me, so I'm going to try my best. I, still, I think it's just funny in general. The Vertical Grizzlow... Uh, I wish this would work. Like I, I had it set up for for the people. Who, well, I guess no one was listening to the pre-show stuff. I just got a new monitor, and so what I where I usually would have my iPad to stream this all off is kind of uh, no longer there. Actually, I'm holding the thing that used to hold my iPad, um, which is now occupied by monitor. Suffice to say, I was trying to work on a new setup today, and unfortunately, um, we I, I'm. I'm sideways. Well, the funniest thing is though, he, he is literally saying the truth here. Like we were, we were um like, like what? 40 what? seconds out of actually starting the thing. And he's like, Oh no, I'm sideways. And uh, then uh, we're, we're just kind of here and he's, he's messing with this obviously, but it's one of those things where it's like, we did not expect this at all. Um, so still sideways. Yeah. You're still sideways. I thought, I thought it'd be like to hack it. This is really like it doesn't want to go. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't. It really doesn't want to go. Oh, I'm like that. What? Ooh, okay. We're rocking this. Yeah, today. Ju just just keep it like that for now. Honestly, <laughs> you've got you've got column Grizzlow. Yeah, col column Grizzlow. Oh boy, vertical Grizzlow. Yeah, well, it is what it is today. I don't really know <laughs> why it, why it is doing this, but we're gonna rock with this. <laughs> right. Well, so anyway, you only get this. get getting into the news here. Uh, the first article we I want to uh, talk quickly about is the Postal Service. The U.S. Postal Service is reportedly monitoring America's social media for, quote, inflammatory content. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Uh, long story short, the um, article puts these little bulletin points here, the little TLDR. Thank you, Insider, for this article. Um, basically, the law enforcement arm of USPS is running a covert program uh, known as ICOP monitors America's social media for inflammatory posts. And a memo uh, obtained by Yahoo includes identifying details and screenshots of users' parlor accounts. Uh, long story short, in the article, they just kind of detail why they, the reasoning they think they do it, uh, mainly uh, to protect mail carriers and bring them out of danger. So. Um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, uh, Grizzlow. What, what do you think? Yeah, you know, if I, if you were ever to ask me, before I read this article, if you were to ask me, um, OA is government surveilling its citizens, specific, specifically social media, um, 
I would say probably yes, but we wouldn't know about it. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, and that's actually interesting because our high school did exactly that with us back in the day. They would monitor our social media. If you said anything bad about our, our high school, they would, you know, bring in and it would be like a Gasapo style thing where they bring you into the office, talk to you and be like, you got to take that down. It's not okay. You can't do that. Um, you know, it's, it's what private high schools can do. I, I would expect the government to do the same, but I wouldn't expect us to know about it. I also wouldn't expect um, the U.S. Postal Service to be sort of in charge of this. Um, so it, I'm surprised that, that the Postal Service is kind of behind it, but I'm also not surprised that this is a current program that, you know, the government has going. Do I like it? Do I love it? No. Um, although to note, it's not like they're going in and looking at DMs and stuff. They're looking at publicly available information. And I think I've said this a few times, you know, uh, and we talked, actually, we have talked about this in regards to privacy, internet privacy. You know, I, I personally feel like um, whatever I put out there is fair game. And so if I post a picture of it, I'm, I don't know, I'm in, in Santa Island, Florida, then everyone knows I'm in Santa Island, Florida, or at least I was at some point in time. If I post anything on social media, like it's fair game. So I, I'm not really going to, you know, raise a red flag here about a new surveillance program. It's, it's not like a Snowden esque um, thing. Um, but it, it does give me a little pause of, of concern, I suppose, for how I view uh, our United States postal service. I don't know what your thoughts are Fitz. I mean, I agree with you in a lot of cases with that, especially um, am I happy it exists? No. Do I expect it? Yes. And like you put it, uh, anything on social media there um, that you make public is public. That's that's what it is. And uh, if people want to use that for their data projects, whatever, uh, in my opinion, by making it public, you are now allowing whoever, whatever, to do whatever they want with that thing. Uh, granted, maybe you still retain the right to actually own that thing, but um, they can analyze it. They can do whatever. And that's why a lot of social media platforms have the option of making things private and kind of hiding it. Um, but if you mm. do make stuff public, that's, I, I could see that if an organization goes around privacy filters to get into private things, that's where I start having a problem. Right. Yeah. I think especially too, if it came out that uh, the USPS was able to acquire like DMS between people um, or, or other like instant messaging services, um, that, that, or at least the back end, uh, DM special interconnecting message system, message board that a lot of these, uh, platforms have, then I would start having a problem with that. Um, cause that's not what you post, you know, publicly. That's why they're called DMs or direct messages. Direct, yes. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, that's definitely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, as we move through uh, the next couple months, at least, because I'm sure this is going to open up a lot of investigation and red flags and stuff. And I'm sure we'll see a little bit more about this coming down the pipeline. All righty. The next thing I wanted to talk about, and uh, Matt, you were uh, there, you watched it, you saw what was going on. Apple had an event last week. Yes, yeah, they did. On uh, on Tuesday on 420, Apple hosted their first event, uh, product release event of 2021. Um, my first takeaway actually is not even anything to do with uh, the, the products, and I don't know if you want to pop up the page or not, 
off their of the website. But right, what well, my first takeaway, at least what we could do is when we start talking about products. Um, my first takeaway was their event is actually comparable to a movie. They've because their events are, aren't allowed to be in person because of coronavirus restrictions. They they've actually made this event uh, sort of like a, a little movie. They have transitions. They have effects. Um, it's actually spectacular to watch. Um, I remember watching one of the tech reviewers talk about it and he said, I watch it once for the products, for, for the initial shock value, just to be there and to be present while, you know, hearing about it for the first time. Then I watch it again for the specs of the, um, of all the new products. So I know exactly what's going on with the new products. But then I watch it a third time for the spectacle of it all, because they truly have a phenomenal, uh, video quality, uh, production quality to their, to their videos. Uh, the release video. So that there, there's something about that. Um, but in terms of the products they've actually unveiled, um, they they talk about services to start. Uh, so now they have a new feature on the Apple credit card where if you share a credit card with someone else, uh, your lines of credit, um, you both uh, incur or build credit. Um, it's not one or the other, and it doesn't uh, negatively inf- impact one uh, versus the other, which is good for, for people who share uh, an Apple card. Um, also for the services, they're, um, they've revamped their Apple podcasts, which I don't really use. Um, so I, I can't really speak so intelligently on, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this kind of like a actually, Spotify. I'm pretty sure this is Go published on Apple podcasts. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. I, I, I'm a Spotify person myself. Um, but they are revamping that. And then you got, in, you get into the more, uh, product releases. So if you want to go to, uh, I believe it was well. Technically, they unveiled the the uh, purple iPhone first. I believe. I believe. Yeah, let me, let so it's gonna be a new color way. iPhone. Um, they've unveiled a new a new color for the spring. It's sort of like a, a like a lilac, like a lavender color, and it's purple. Right. Yeah. Um, this guy. Right. Done, yeah, they've done purple iPhones in the past, so this isn't new. Um, it's just a new color. Personally, I, I think it's kind of cheap. To say that, oh, we unveil a new phone today, when really you just unveil a new color for a phone that's been out for what six months now. Um, I, to me, that was the biggest like sort of non-product release. Um, I guess secondly, you could say the services were, but they're inherently services, not products. But I would say of all of the releases they had, the iPhone 12 um, Purple Edition would be kind of like the lowest uh, announcement. Uh, I don't know, it, it just wasn't that, that wild. The, no one was getting anything new, which is a new color. Um, the next thing I believe they unveiled, uh, yeah, were these, these iMacs. Um, these iMacs are interesting. They're, they're a brand new generation. Apple just, uh, I want to say a month or two ago, stopped selling the uh, previous generation or start, stopped selling new ones on their site. So it was kind of uh, no shock to, to people that they were going to be unveiling new iMacs. They're, they're colored. Um, they're all kinds of different colors. Um, sort of similar to like their uh, iPhone SE line, uh, or maybe it's their iPhone 12 line of uh, of different colors of products. So they've got a lot of cool new colors. Um, they're incredibly, incredibly thin um, and very, very capable. Actually, they're so thin that to uh, also to include the aux port to continue to include an aux port, they had to put it on the side because it is it is so deep that if they put it in the back, it actually would have uh, forced Apple to make that panel thicker to accommodate it, and so instead they included it on the side. You have, uh, I believe, uh, all of those ports there are Thunderbolt ports. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, four Thunderbolt ports, or at least two uh, Thunderbolt ports on the back there. Uh, power cable also uh, 
acts as Ethernet if you can plug it into the uh, the brick that is eventually on the other side of that cable. Um, it has a very huge, uh, I believe they have 24 inches, um, their 24-inch yes. MacBook uh, Max, uh, excuse me, not MacBooks. Um, they have a, a 1080p, I believe, uh, FaceTime camera, and so you'll be able to, yeah, there you go. Yep, FaceTime HD camera, so you're able to have video calls, things like that, um, which are important right now in today's day and age for uh, you know consumers that are trying to do video calls from home. Um, so they've, they've done a lot of cool new improvements with it. They've added a ton of mics. They've done uh, some speakers in that bottom portion. Um, I have not practiced this before with Fit, so it's hilarious that we're going through this as just scrolling down and basically hitting all the points. And yes, now powered by uh, the M1 chip that they unveiled last year. This thing's incredibly capable, um, and actually it is sort of the star of this uh, product release. Not just this product, um, but also some of the others at this event, and we'll get into in a second here. Um, but yeah. The one thing that fits, if you wanted to interject. Yeah, I just wanted to interject. Um, well, I'll go into a little bit of opinion on this stuff, but um, basically... I'm not sure how I, I feel about all the colors and stuff like that. I mean, I want a traditional, if I want a MacBook, I don't want it to be blue or red or like orange or whatever. Um, yep. I just want it to be like silver or black or white yep. or something that's more traditional Apple-y. Um, yeah. But one of the interesting articles that I popped up uh, by CNET here, I was reading this a little earlier, Um it's an it's an op-ed, uh, so basically commentary, how Apple's iMacs color match today's home fashion trends. And basically, hmm. they were going into how home design has changed, and now in your office, this is going to be a focal point of your room rather than just something shoved up against a wall, uh, the way home design huh. has changed. Uh, and right. you can kind of see that here where... The, all the colors match and all that stuff. Apple posted this picture and where it'll show a very simplistic setup um, and how people are kind of like wanting to use something like this as a status symbol and making the minimalistic and simplistic uh, home office a new thing with the, um, with the post COVID world here. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, that I just thought it was an interesting read. Ha please have you know have a look at this article if you're interested. Yeah, it's actually you bring up a very good point, and it's actually sort of a, a central idea to the new design of these uh, of these iMacs, um, and specifically for this reason, um, if you take a look at these things, they're incredibly thin, they're incredibly slim, um, and actually, if you look at the previous generation versus uh, this new generation. They have. They used to have the uh, Apple logo down in the center of that little chin. They've moved that to the back now, and it's on that beautifully uh, colored back panel. Um, and they've also changed the uh, the bezels now from black to white, which is also very interesting. Um, but you're very right. It it kind of breathes this new air of uh, this new design language into these iMacs. And uh, it does create a sort of focal on that back panel, on that color back panel. Um, and so it is very interesting to see how other people are reacting to it. Um, but I think it is kind of interesting, uh, especially while we're talking about this design here, um, since they have moved that, that Apple logo to the back, to me that, that, that chin really does nothing, um, at least aesthetically. Now, in terms of, of practical means, of reasoning for having that, that's where they house the, uh, the mics, and, and the speakers and some of the electronics. 
Um, and so actually a lot of what's behind that panel now that that display is actually just for their heat sink and, and trying to dissipate heat, which right. which really speaks volumes to what Apple has been able to accomplish here with that M1 chip, trying to integrate all sorts of systems on that system on a chip. Um, but it does kind of beg the question, why did they have to go out of the way to include this big chin at the bottom of their their displays on their on their new uh, iMacs where they could have just slunk this in the back and even as, as thin as they are now, people probably wouldn't bat an eye if they were, you know, another quarter inch thicker, another 10 millimeters thicker, five millimeters, God forbid, right? Right. And the other thing too with this is they don't have a battery to worry about in situations like this. So there's, there's a fair bit of space back there. I mean, I'm sure they tried to make it as thin as possible. There's, I'm sure there's thousands of hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars that engineering, uh, that went into this specific thing being this specific width uh, with this specific layout for this specific reason. But I agree. Like, what could you rearrange? What could you make this thing design better? Um, and what, what's, what's kind of the, the problem here? iPads are able to be an iPad with a full screen, a battery and everything all kind of sandwiched together. This is just kind of, a a, a tablet with a, with a big, big looking chin at the bottom. So exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of funny. They focus so yeah, much this, on the design of these things, but they kind of forgot right about here. like what? Yeah. So that's, so yeah. for people that are unaware that, that little, uh, space underneath that display is what we're referring to as the chin. It's the part of the device that really serves no um, aesthetic purpose. It's more of just a functional purpose because underneath there, inside there, is what's is where they're housing a lot of these components. If you're able to find a cross section or some sort of uh, internal picture of the iMac on this on this page, it'd be great because it would be able to show the uh, the internals and the heat sinking. Um, but I guess uh, well, while you look at that, I can go on to the next thing and. I I certainly know how I feel on this one. Um, the next thing, if they can build, or find new... it, by the way. Okay, yeah, I could if you it. can find it, if you can just Google search it, I'm sure they'll they have uh, something at the event where it was like a a video, and you they probably screen grabbed it or whatever. If you can find it, try and find it. If not, um, I'll just move on. Um, the next and second to last product they unveiled uh, were new Apple TVs. So now they uh, are able to support 120 hertz refresh um they now feature a new remote um the remote is actually one of my sticking points of the apple tv one of the things that i really don't like about the current apple tv in fact i actually have uh one of the remotes here to kind of explain and so this this is what the uh the current apple tv remote looks like um see if i can get it in frame here all right this is the current apple tv remote you've got a sort of touchpad interface here uh and so you can scroll or move and, and navigate the page or wherever you are uh, with this guy. Um, then you have your uh, sort of back button. Uh, I'm sorry, this is the home button. And then you have your or home button, back button. Um, and then you've got your Siri, play, pause, and, and, and uh, volume up, down. So that's what this remote has. That's the features this, this one has. And it's incredibly slim. If you can see that, and it has that IR receiver, and so you're able to toggle the uh, the TVs, the actual TV, your physical TV in your room's uh, volume. What they've changed with this now is, uh, if you can pull it up, here you go. So um, you can see in the new remote there, they've almost, and actually this is kind of cool, they've harkened back um, to the iPod era. And so now instead of this big touch interface at the top, you have this 
sort of scrolling wheel and uh, touch uh, button in the inside um, thing, uh, this component at the top. And so what now you can do some sort of fine scrolling if you do circular movements uh, ver uh, clockwise or counterclockwise. Um, and it'll bring your content forward or backward as sort of a uh, skip uh, feature or fine scrolling feature. Uh, it's They still include the same um, home button. They also have a, uh, a back button. They've kind of changed the way they, they show that. Um, they still have the volume button. They now have a mute button, uh, which is kind of neat. But they've moved the Siri button to the side, and they've also included a new power button at the top, which I think is kind of nice because um, the way that they work now, which is sort of a, a learning feature for the Apple TV to know or kind of learn on its own whether or not it's able to... Uh, uh, turn the TV on or off. It's just based on how long you've used it, and so the device kind of learns that oh, you're using the Apple TV remote. You want to turn the Apple TV. You want to turn your TV on. Now it has an integrated button. Um, now, when I first saw the the remote, my my initial uh, response was oh, this is horrible. You went from this light device to this fully aluminum uh, enclosure. I'm not really sure if I like it or not. Um, but I do like that they included a power button. I do like that they've gone away. Gone away with uh, the previous big touchpad. To me, that was one of the biggest sticking points. It's so finicky, um, and it's very hard to get good, accurate uh, feedback on this remote because of the design. And so um, I, I am interested to see how that works. I really do want to check this thing out at Best Buy. And because you can buy this separately, I am thinking of buying it for, for my Apple TV setup here. Um, now, my actual hardware, this is the Apple TV 4K, uh, the previous version. Uh, the one they have now, I believe, the really big difference is they put uh, the, I want to say they put the A12 in it, um, A12 Bionic chip from the iPhone, and they've also um, been able to have it work with 120 hertz refresh rate uh, capabilities. So that's kind of where that uh, product is now. Again, I, I think the Apple TV is a good product, but it's hard to sell now because so many companies are making these smart TVs, and so they have all these features that you don't really need an Apple TV for. They already have AirPlay integrated into. Did they get cut off there? Uh, no, you you just uh, froze for a second. You're good. Ah, well, as I was saying, they already uh, have integrated a lot of these features into standard TVs. For example, AirPlay uh, is now integrated into a lot of these TVs. Um, the service Apple TV Plus. Um, I believe you can get on other other uh, other TVs. Um, the whole idea, this whole app thing. Um, again, they have these on these other TVs. Whether or not you like the, the OS, like for example, my TV is the LG um, C10. It's an, a 4K HDR uh, OLED TV, and I love we get it. Get it? You um, have a cool TV. <laughs> but I initially bought an Apple TV for it because uh, I didn't really love the the interface or really the remote. Um, because I like this one. The only thing I don't like about this is how slim it is, how easy it is to to lose. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's going to be fixed in this new Apple TV. Um, oh, a big uh, thing was Find My in this event. And so they also, um, and I guess I'll pin it in the Apple TV uh, conversation here. Um, more to come, maybe. I may buy a new remote, but we'll see. Um, the last two things I almost forgot, actually. Um, the first, the truly the first uh, product they did unveil were these AirTags. They're basically these little tile-like devices. They tap into the Find My network that Apple already has, and uh, they basically can track whatever you want. Um, they have these cases that are, you know, you, you can have them or not. 
Um, they cost $29.99, I believe, individually, and a four-pack costs $99.99. So they are priced um, fairly uh, competitively. The only thing is that they have that sort of aluminum back, and so people are already finding that they're very easy to scratch. So that's going to be an interesting thing to uh, follow up on in the future. Um, like I said, it taps in their Find My Network, and so they actually have this uh, mode where they're able to tap into the U1 chip of the iPhones and sort of basically make your phone into a compass when you're trying to find whatever you're trying to find that the AirTag is uh, attached to or inside of. And so it'll tell you how far you are and it'll actually have an on-display sort of compass interface. Um, and so you're able to sort of like use a almost like a treasure map to find your uh, buried treasure, but in this case, find your lost products. And so you're also able to customize it with different emoji or different um, press characters. X, press X to doubt. Oh, no. Um, actually, that is a very interesting thing that you, you did mention here, the battery. So it, it, it has this uh, removable battery, a standard button cell style battery, um, and supposedly it should last a year. Now, if it does work very similarly to the tiles, I can say, or I, I, I can say at least from experience, that um, they work, they do work, uh, at least the tiles do with that similar uh, battery for a year. And so if this is, if this is similar and uh, you know, I know, I know Apple, they, they do some good stuff. Their products are pretty, pretty decent, especially if they're not gonna be putting a lithium ion battery that they put in their uh, products uh, in this, this new tile style um, device. I, I really do actually uh, think that it could be, uh, it really could be a year's worth of battery life, but we'll see. Um, honestly, anything over a few, let's say six months is still pretty good uh, on a button right. cell style battery. Right. But we'll see with that. I'm, um, I want to get your thoughts on that before I move to the last one, uh, product. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely going to be super interesting to see how they're, how this, this is accepted by the market. Like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, eh, I don't know. And then there's going to be a bunch of people who are like, I'll take 20. So, um, I'll just be interested to see how this kind of works out, how, um, people are are accepting this wh whether they're actually useful and if their battery life is actually what they what they say it is so yeah and i think it actually really uh to, as the last sort of commentary on, on the air tags i think the interesting thing to look for going forward is are they is apple going to start integrating uh third-party um lost device tags into their find my network um right I, I can see this becoming an anti-competitive thing where now they have their own product. And yes, while they may start uh, allowing other companies to integrate the Find My uh, mm -hmm. system into their product, they may still bar um, other companies from attaching their own small little Find My uh, mm -hmm. AirTag style device like the Tile into their network. So we'll see if that eventually pans out. Um, definitely. The last definitely. thing. Yeah, so the, the last thing actually, and... and Again, I keep myself in the butt a little bit, not only for the Apple TV things I just did buy an Apple TV um, a few months ago, but also for the the app, the iPad. The iPad, um, the iPad, in my opinion, and in a lot of other tech reviewer opinions, is that it is a is a highly regarded, highly capable tablet. Um, for what this, the price that you pay, you are paying for a highly capable tablet, and in some cases, if you can spec it right, it can basically be. A, a workstation computer. It really can be in, in some to some degree of, uh, of of use. So now what they've done this year is they've taken out, uh, they've stopped using, uh, you know, souped up uh, Apple chips. So they used to put sort of like an X moniker after it. So you'd have like 
the A10X, um, the A12 Bionic X, no longer. Um, now for the pro model uh, iPads, at least, they are now uh, installing M1 chips into their iPads. And so now you're able to get some crazy performance out of these bad guys. Um, the other big uh, sort of announcement is they've now integrated mini LED technology into the large 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro. And so now you're able to get brightnesses of nits ranging from like 1,000 to 14 or 1,600 nits. That's pretty crazy. Um, that, that's a very bright display. It helps with the contrast. It helps with video editing, with, with photo uh, editing, sharing, viewing. Um, so that's good. They also added 5G uh, to it. And uh, one of the cool things, actually, I, I think is one of the coolest features is they've updated the FaceTime, excuse me, the FaceTime camera, and it's now a ultra-wide camera. So they're able to use uh, software and hardware features to kind of revamp the camera. And so now what you have, uh, for example, you're on a FaceTime call, and you, uh, you, you're in your kitchen, right? And you've got your iPad on, on, your, uh, on your counter, and you're moving around the display. Well, because you now have an ultra-wide camera, it's able to basically keep you in frame while you're moving around uh, your kitchen during your FaceTime call. So you'll never have to hold your phone or your camera with you or your, 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 your iPad with you um, when you, you FaceTime people. So it's kind of interesting, kind of cool. Um, finally, uh, they've added Thunderbolt to the port. So now it's a more capable uh, device for adding external displays. And so... Uh, yeah, their their event was was pretty wild. The one thing I, I thought I would see that I didn't see um, were new Apple pencils, um, also new AirPods. I was expecting a third, the new third generation of AirPods, similar in styling to maybe the AirPod uh, Pros, but that to come maybe for the next uh, possibly as a as a uh, uh, a tail end to their WWDC announcements when they unveil some of the the software. Typically, sometimes they unveil a little bit of Mac hardware. Um, so maybe we'll see it there. Possibly they'll push it off to, uh, the fall Apple, um, iPhone event. So we'll see what happens, but overall a fairly good event. Um, we'll, we'll see how these products are received, how people actually are able to tap into the now incredible power of the iPad pros. And, uh, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how people enjoy these new, uh, Apple TV remotes. I, I will be possibly picking one up, um, and reviewing it myself. So we'll see how nice. that goes. Very cool. Well, I think we've uh, beat that into the ground enough. Uh, so Apple, please sponsor us, please. Onward. Nice. <laughs> well, we also have an, a, um, what is it, Samsung's event tomorrow. So I'm excited to, to watch that, hear about that, and see what they've got coming. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think it is a, a mostly computer event too. So it does um, sort of parallel nicely to Apple's uh mac and, and ipad unveilings right all righty in other news uh google is actually uh piloting a program called google guacamole that will let you use voice assistant without saying hey google i don't know how i feel about this i'm a huge privacy guy like i i want them to trigger things when i trigger them i don't want to um and my thing just my thing on my phone just triggered too huh. but uh i want them to um not hear what i say normally um and i just want to tell them to do something when i want them to do something i don't want them to automatically do things that i just say so 
Um, that's a uh, that's a little bit about this article. I'm not sure how you feel about that, Matt or Grizzlow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you gave me crap about that before this. Basically, you're like, stop calling me mad on the thing. And I'm like, okay, okay. Well, the reason why is because this, I mean, so so this is the podcast that we do from two or, or typically three separate locations, right? And so to, we don't really have that sort of in-person, interpersonal sort of dynamic. And so aside from that, we also have known each other for what is it? Eight, nine years at this Probably point. Probably ten at this point. <laughs> God, a decade with you. Oh God. man. But... Um. So because we don't have that interpersonal sort of connection, you know, in in person vibe, we need to have it over over the podcast in some way. And so you calling me Matt is fine, but also it's almost like robotic and, and like you don't know me. But we've known each other for years. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got stories. We've got stories. You know, we could tell till we till we get in our 80s, right? Right. Um, but what I'm trying to make my point here is Speaking like, of interpersonal. we're friends, we know each other for a while, let's act like friends, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but interpersonal um, stuff, though, you're, how do you feel about uh, just the, the good old Google just listening to what you normally do? So I'll be honest, I don't really know too much about this. I'm curious, though, because, um, and I don't really know how it works, but at least I had thought at least one of the major... Uh, companies that has one of these products um a, a an ai or, or whatever you want to call them a smart uh assistant they do they do listen but they don't save the information but it's all, until they hear the triggering words is when they sort of quote unquote like tune in mm-hmm. um so i'm really curious how that works with this because how can you i guess it's just commands it's just it's... instead of saying mm-hmm. instead of saying hey insert you know a voice assistant here. Um, it's find nice. me a restaurant nearby. It, I, I would rather, I would love to, to go away from that whole, Hey, and I, I'm sorry for everyone that has devices, but Hey Google, like, Hey Siri, um, whatever. Um, Alexa, I hope I really, in the comments, please. If you've been, if, if, if I triggered a device, I want to know the count. Um, cause I'd be curious how many people are not only are tuning in, <laughs> But also, uh, how many devices uh, people have, and, and comment what what device and what smart assistant you use. I use right. Siri on all mine. Um, Fitz, I don't know about you. I, I use a mishmash of a little bit of everything. Uh, but in the article, it says Guacamole would let you say stop, snooze, answer call, and decline call without needing to say the trigger word. So um, useful stuff I could see. Um, but this is the beginning. What, what, yeah, what you know, I'm all, I'm all for making it like exactly like simple, like answer the phone, you know, call, call fits on speaker. If I could say that without saying, Hey Siri, call fits on speaker, like that'd be great. Um, and, but again, I think it goes back to the whole idea or the whole, um, the how, how is it working type thing, like the inner machinations, you know, uh, right. of, of these virtual assistants. How long are they saving this data for when they're listening? Because you really can't, like, not listen all the time. You have to. But it's it's what they're doing with the data or what they're doing with the recordings, you know, um, of that data before you you, uh, enact some sort of uh, gesture or some sort of uh, feature on your phone or or try and do something, right? Um, So that's what you got to look for, I think, when when you're dealing with this. And I think that's what we have to, to... ask more of of these companies and especially with guacamole how how long are they going to be storing the data for um at what point 
do they make the decision that now this person is asking for a request? So now we're going to start listening to their data. Like when does that truly start and how smart is this system where it truly does know that you're talking to it versus having an offhand conversation with someone and all of a sudden it tunes in and hears you. I can't say how many times uh, my phone with Siri goes off saying just nonsensical stuff. I would never think that it would trigger my device. And it's funny because I have it tuned, tuned to my voice. Um, so you'd think that it wouldn't really do that, but you know, the technology is, I guess, not really there yet. Who knows? Who knows? Speaking along the lines of uh, communications here, uh, there was an article that, that uh, Grizzlo, you sent in, basically saying more than one scribe wrote the text of a Dead Sea Scroll. Uh, the handwriting shows, basically using pattern recognition and AI techniques, it opens up a new window into these ancient worlds, basically analyzing the handwriting throughout the entire um, scroll to see if there was differences in the people writing it which is insane um do you want to explain a little bit more on that one yeah so you know i believe the first scrolls were found in the 40s or 50s um and these are very fragile they're very you know very hard to to manipulate and hold in your hands um and so very smart very uh good new technology is always good for uh understanding these scrolls more and so um you have this one scroll um, for the book of Isaiah, and it was, I believe it's one of the most complete uh, scrolls, and I believe this is the one that uh, is, is talked about in the article. Um, it's one of the most complete scrolls, um, but for the longest time, it was believed that one person uh, wrote the wrote the scroll, and so at least how they had been doing it is you would have one person, you would look at and self-analyze an entire document, at least a section of a document, and they would themselves look with their own eyes at, for example, um, the way that they wrote a certain character or a certain word. Um, and again, they have to keep that image of one, let's, for example, A character in their mind and in their memory, the recent memory, and then go to the next character and continually do this through an entire section of an article or of, 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 a, of a scroll to, uh, to analyze it and to see whether or not it was just one person that wrote it versus several people. And uh, what they've been able to do is use uh, artificial intelligence to an and image recognition to analyze an entire scroll. And they found that um, it was actually written by two different scribes, uh, one that was mimicking the style of the previous one. And they were able to find uh, subtle, um, not inconsistencies, but subtle uh, variations in the characters that they uh, wrote in these scrolls um, that it would be so hard for that would be so hard for uh, one person to do on their own. So it's amazing to see that uh, we have this technology. It's able to decipher thousands upon thousands of years ago, or thousands of years ago, whatever it was. Um, not not exactly who wrote it, but we can at least we at least know that it wasn't just one person. Right. Um, and so they've only done this on the the Isaiah scroll, and now they're uh, thinking about, and I'm sure they will uh, expand this program. Uh, to the other Dead Sea Scrolls, there's there's a lot of them, um, and so it could be interesting to see um, what we find out using this technology. That oh, well, maybe there was a a large group of these people that wrote it. Maybe it wasn't just you know five or six guys or whatever they think it is. Yeah, definitely. And 
I'm definitely interested to see in the future how we can leverage AI, how we can leverage technology to better understand historical stuff rather than even the future as a whole, just understanding history, being able to correlate events, do basically the way I think of this entire situation is this AI is providing another perspective that a researcher or historian just just couldn't. And that's where I, f I see the true value in uh, this type of technology being applied to history rather than future, like uh, predicting things or being future focused. This is uh, looking at historical data instead. It's almost like the new uh, the newest tool of digital archaeology, right? You've got, you know, carbon dating through carbon dating. We know how old these scrolls are. Um, and through carbon dating, we know all kinds of stuff about all kinds of things, dinosaur bones, um, you know, all, all kinds of things. So we've, we've had technology before in, in this archaeology, you know, department, right? Let's call it. Um, but now you've had this new, this new AI that you're able to, uh, to, to analyze documents and, and, and give more maybe context to it. Maybe not direct information, but like, uh, like carbon dating, but context. So yeah, this digital archaeology um, is pretty interesting and it'd be really cool to see how they use this in the future. I think actually one thing that could be useful for this uh, or a good use case for this um, would, and I'm not sure if it's already been used. And so maybe it is, maybe it's not, um, but ver verifying uh, signatures, um, verifying, you know, autographs. Uh, I think that'd be a, a pretty cool use case for this uh, technology. Yeah, definitely. And I, if it isn't, uh, it sounds like a cool opportunity, definitely. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's it's a, it's a hard profession because you have to be trained on hundreds upon hundreds of, of documents that, you know, X person has signed. And then you have to cross-reference it with this, with this document someone's bringing to you. And on top of that, um, signatures do change over time. Some people change up their styles. Some people get sloppier. Um, people may develop, you know, uh, ALS, and so they're not able to... Uh, you know, sign the way they used to. And so let's give you a, a pretty interesting uh, new use case for this technology. Huh. Yeah, there's an article on Medium here that basically says how somebody made an AI that does that. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see, like, really, really good fakes, though, uh, if that will actually mess with it. But anyway... Um, Cool. Yeah, I definitely hope that this is a thing in the future and we're able to um, see that. So up next, we got a couple quick fire rapid stories here um, that I just want to kind of talk about real quick. Uh, first one, Elon Musk will host Saturday Night Live on May 8th. Uh, he is the first tech CEO to ever host a um, SNL episode. Uh, he there were a couple businessmen who hosted them before. Uh Brandon Tarkit, Tarkitoff and Yankees, uh, George Steinbrenner. Um, basically, they hosted before, but they were business people. Uh, first time a tech CEO will uh, be hosting. In other Elon Musk news, SpaceX uh, Crew Dragon uh, flew to the International Space Station. It is absolutely phenomenal to see uh, the, the live video of this and watch it happen and all that stuff. So, um, not sure how you feel about that one, Grizzlow. I'm, I'm. I think this is pretty cool. This this is cool stuff. Um, I, I'm I'm happy that uh, um, we're, we're getting to this point where we're able to reuse uh, rockets. 
and and reuse um, all, all this really expensive technology that is a big uh, gatekeeper for scientific discovery and innovation. And so I'm all for this type of stuff. And to see this, uh, it, this is just proof that it's working. This is a concept that, you know, that was people thought was impossible prior to, you know, Elon Musk and, and the SpaceX team really taking it on. And they've not only proven that it works once, that what the, that their product works, but now they've proven the reusability aspect that it also works. Um, right. And also, I mean, aside from that, um, I believe the Russians just unveiled that they are unveiled. They just uh, announced that they are stepping away from from the uh, ISS. And so what that means is they're probably not going to well a they're not going to be sending uh, uh, astronauts anymore. So the feasibility for sending uh, American uh, astronauts with uh, the Soyuz low to none. Also, if uh, the Americans did go back to the Russians to ask them to uh, send us up to space, they'd probably jack the price up because they aren't sending Soyuz up there anymore. So um, this this just further proves that we're able to do it. The anything you can do, I can do better. Um, sort of spirit of of the United States, and also just how exciting it is that we're seeing this these promises fully being um, fully fully being realized. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see where we head with that. Uh, other quick news story, Honda, uh, is phasing out gas cars aiming for hundred percent electric in North America by 2040. Um, that's interesting to see for me, at least, uh, they call it a goal, not a commitment, uh, basically saying the same thing as a lot of their other competitors. I know, uh, GM has been saying something similar to that as well. Not sure how you feel on that one. It's every day we see new articles about companies and uh, and and governments, um, you know, claiming support for being and going green and and fully integrating electric vehicles into our society and trying to make them, you know, the predominant um, force on our on our roads. Um, I'm not quite sure how that'll shake out. I, I know it. Yeah, there's a lot of, of craze and, and, and buzz about electric vehicles. Um, but there are a few barriers that need to be crossed before companies can really take advantage of the of the technology um and, and leverage it to its fullest um to its fullest capabilities. Um the one number one is, is the cost. They need to drive the cost of, of these cars down to make them more affordable and more available. They need to um increase the amount of tax incentives. Um that would really help. Um, in terms of a government infrastructure bill, which is going through the United States Senate right now, um, this would be, and, and this is something that is in their bill, uh, charging stations, um, you know, to try and, and get more people to, to go electric. Um, you got to bring the price of that down some way. So tax incentives, charging stations, whatever it is, you know, uh, put those in. Um, but also, you, you have this culture of, of petrol heads, of, of these guys that really don't want to give up this sort of uh, combustion engine not lifestyle, but um, this this market, and, and so and, and it's very, very, very much beloved by a lot of people. There are a lot, there are tons of people out there that do not want to switch um, from a combustion engine style uh, vehicle to electric. Um, and so we'll, we'll we'll see as time goes by. And, and one thing to note: it's a goal; it's not a commitment um, completely. Right. And so I, I believe in there. They still say they're still open to. Uh, to uh, you know, having some combustion engines being sold at the time in parallel with these electric vehicles, I think as much as I think the best um, the best way to look at it as as Honda would be okay. 
um, we'll, we will commit to attempting to do this, or at least we will commit by 2040, every vehicle that we have that as a combustion engine, um, we will also have a, an electric variant. I think that's probably a good way to go about it. And and by then, when when you give consumers the options over in the next 20 years, right, um, then we'll fully know whether or not uh, this this whole electric vehicle thing is really going to work out. I think it honestly ultimately will, and it probably will have to um, for the environment's sake. Um, but I, I, it's going to be hard for, for the consumers to fully come around to that. Right, right, right. Definitely. Um, and we'll just have to kind of wait and see for it at least, so... Alrighty. Uh, next news story, real quick. Uh, Discord ended its deal talks with Microsoft. Uh, basically, long story short, there was chattering about uh, Discord potentially selling to Microsoft for uh, like something ridiculous, like at least ten billion dollars. Uh, but they're going to be uh, instead taking a look at maybe an IPO um, instead. So I'm I'm excited that they're staying uh, uh, separate from Microsoft for now. And we'll see uh, if talks resume in the future. So, yeah. Uh, next one here. We got, uh, I'm going to botch your name. I am so sorry. Emily Radajowski is selling an NFT at Christie's Auction House. And Matt, I think you were sent- close. Oh, I got it? Okay, cool. I think I think it's Red, Red, I think it is Radajowski. See, I can't even say it. So, Radajowski, I think. <laughs> Model yeah. lady. Model lady. Very pretty. Um, yeah, she, yeah. But anyway, she's selling a NFT at Christie's, um, and I was reading this article, and I was—I'll be honest with you—I was a little confused uh, because basically they took like portraits of her or something, and people sold them, and like they didn't want to, and like it, it was really weird. I think I can explain it. I think I have a good grasp on it now. Um, I read it a few times because I myself was a little confused about this. And there's actually a lot of <laughs> interesting implications of this. Um, we, we talked about M- NFTs a few times on the show. And I, I think one of the points that was brought up a few times was, uh, or if it hasn't, today is absolutely going to be that day, um, about how, like, what's the originality of an NFT? Like, truly, if if, if an NFT doesn't really originate from the seller what happens and so this is a great example of this and i I honestly as small of a story as this is i'm kind of excited to see this one unfold because this could set the standard for how nfts move forward and so um the story behind this one is uh emily radjitowski i hope i said her name right um she she is a model she's been a model for a while and so she's got a lot of a lot of art um she started when she was younger and so she feels like she was taken advantage of when she was younger and so um there was this, this artist this guy um, who had taken all these pictures of her uh, when she was younger and basically kind of ripped her off and only paid her a very, very small amount, um, a few hundred dollars, I believe, for her time, uh, where he made a lot of money off of these pictures of her that sold. And she had tried to get um, access to these, to these uh, pictures um, and, or paintings of, of the pictures um, and, and got one or two of them, but didn't really get them. And so she went back to them and got... Um, she she got a, what what she called an Instagram uh, uh, portrait, and so it's a picture of her of hers um, that she posted um, that includes it's basically a screenshot on Instagram. So it includes some of the content on Instagram, and so it's a screenshot of of the site with that picture in it. Well, the NFT she's selling, um, and and she purchased that painting 
from from that guy, um, this Prince guy. Well, now she's she's selling uh, this as an NFT. Uh, and so a picture of her, she's selling it, to be clear, she's selling a picture of her in front of this painting, which includes uh, art that she purchased from someone else. But in the art, it's of a picture of of her. Um, yeah, I think it's and this. so in her account. So it's really interesting because you get into this whole thing about who owns what here. Like, yes, that's her in the picture or in the portrait in the picture. Um, and I believe it's also her account, too. Um, but that artwork that that picture is featured in is not technically hers. She purchased it. Um, and so now she's taking a picture of that portrait with a picture of her in it. And so there's a lot of layers of complexity there about the person who, um, you know, made the deal with her with the picture initially. Or, um, you know, and then you have on top of that, you have, you know, the rights with this portrait. And it's all her in this. Right. And so it's really interesting to see. How it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds because you have a lot of layers of of ownership here, right? Exactly, and who owns what? What's copyrighted to who? Does Instagram have a stake in it because it's technically their UI? Like it, it. There's all sorts of stuff here, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens or anything with this because you could consider like uh, stuff. I forget the exact number of it, but there's a, some clause in there for like uh, set satirical or um derivative works and stuff like that uh i'm i'm not a copyright lawyer so uh i am not super uh familiar on the topic don't take any of this as legal advice uh you should just get rid of the disclaimers uh no legal if advice we had, if no we ever financial made merch, advice. we better make merch we, we better make merch that says we are not legally responsible or, or something like that. Cause we've said that so many times on this show. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, it will <laughs> definitely be interesting to see uh, what, what goes on here. Next article we got for you today. Uh, this I found super interesting and I actually want to highlight uh, a comment underneath this article here. Uh, long story short, uh, Disney's Imagineering project Kiwi built a freestanding walking around Groot. And this is very different from their traditional, um, their traditional, uh, like animatronics and robots because they aren't fixed in one position. Uh, this, this little guy's actually, actually watch, walking around here and, and doing all sorts of stuff. They, of course, I picked a one part of the video where he's not, um, here, there's there here it is yeah there's little guy walking around here and doing all this stuff like it's really interesting to see them move away from the stationary animatronic to stuff that's a little more uh mobile and moving around and stuff like that uh so i'm not sure what your take on this one is matt oh no i did it again gosh darn it <laughs> but Damn, you are gonna pull my leg for that for the longest time. Oh, one hundred percent. I, you know what? I, I think it's it really does make sense. Um, Disney was uh, founded what in the sixties or fifties, um, and so the technology was limited at the time, right? And so they had to do with what they had, um, which is what every company does, what every business does. It's what I mean. That, that's just how things go. Um, but. You know, as time has moved on, you've had some advancements in technology. And so it only makes sense that uh, they want to uh, have these freestanding robots. And it only makes sense, especially trying to interact with these kids now um, who come to these parks, to make more live-like, more you know, interpersonal experiences 
um, for for these for the customers. Um, I think it's really cool in the video um, that you showed before that uh, in the video. They show the progress of it over the last, I believe, two years. I started the project in 2018. And so to see this thing go from this mechanical, you know, cold machine to now it's Groot. Um, it's so cool to see. And, and again, for younger kids to see this, um, a great example of this kind of already in play would be uh, with R2-D2 and, and BB-8 live, you know, actual props of, of these, uh, these characters and in, in movies. Um, and, and I remember myself as, as a little boy going to Disney, seeing, you know, Stitch and, and, and Mickey and Buzz Lightyear, you know, for the first time. And it's magical, right? It's, it's a really cool experience. And so right. to be able to do that with CGI characters and little robots of them too, um, I think that's, that's really cool. I think that's yeah, really neat. Definitely. The one thing I did want to kind of highlight about this article, though, is there was this comment here by Trevor L. Uh, he goes, this coupled with the recent news of a Mario toy crying for the owner to buy its brother makes me kind of unnerved. But a cuddly Groot robot. Next thing you know, your kid's asking for the whole Avengers cast because Groot can't fall asleep without his pals. <laughs> I found this is hilarious. Props, props to Trevor L. out there for uh, for saying that. I completely agree. It's one of those things where it's like. What, how far is too far? Like, are we going to, granted, this isn't necessarily destined for the commercial market, uh, but will there be a day where something like that actually happens? And the only reason I saw this comment is because I was reading through the story. And I'm like, oh, there's just one comment. And I, I saw that and uh, it's it's interesting. It got a fair bit of dislike though on uh, uh, the article there, but it's definitely interesting nonetheless. The internet will have its fun when it wants to have fun. Um, but no, who knows? Who knows? Um, maybe someday we'll be having little, you know, autonomous robot toys, you know, for our kids. Who knows? It could be us giving those to who our knows? kids. I mean, we're not, we're, what is it? 10 years probably till we have Fitz Jr. and Grizz Jr. Probably. Right. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? And that, that technology too, um, in the video, and that, that was three years, three years of, of, you know, building and, and design. So. Who knows the next knows. 10 years if they can miniaturize that or if they can, you know, bring costs down for, for consumers, right? But yeah, it, it is so cool to have those uh, at the parks. Definitely. Well, uh, something that is uh, really cool, too, is uh, you may be wondering, all right, why why do you have this this uh, uh, title on this, art, this uh, episode? Um, there is a very great article that we wanted to go into a little bit of depth with, uh, through Wired that, uh, Grizzlo actually sent in, uh, they hacked McDonald's ice cream machines and started a cold war and wonderful <laughs> credit to Wired for this. This is a, a very, very large story. I highly recommend you go and read it. Um, but Matt, you want to kind of explain a little bit about the, uh, the situation? Yes, this is, yeah, like Fitz said, this is a really um, complex article. It's really long. There's a lot of backstory involved. Um, this this article alone could probably be a small novel um, or, or, or a short film, right? Or a good documentary, um, yeah. <laughs> or, or a great documentary, actually, right. Um, but nonetheless, um, this article talks about the ice cream machines at McDonald's. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have, have gone to McDonald's experienced that moment where you're ordering ice cream and they say the ice cream machine is broken or it's down or it's down for maintenance or cleaning or whatever. Um, 
this article details kind of everything about that machine and how complex it is. That machine, um, just to give some quick quick things about it, 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 it costs eighteen thousand um, dollars. It's unlike a lot of the other ice cream machines because it you you're able to uh, have soft serve and uh, milkshakes being produced at the same time because they have two. Uh, sort of different systems inside of this machine. So you can have soft serve and milkshakes at the same time. Um, you're able to pump out 10 ice cream cones in a minute with this machine. Um, and we, we were doing some math but before we got into the show. We found that uh, on average, it's about, we rounded it up to, I think, $1.25 mm. um, or $1.50. I think we said $1.25. Yeah, we did $1.25. Um, national average. We looked at Indiana and Illinois uh, prices and kind of average between theirs. Below it was below a, a dollar and a quarter, but we we rounded up just to be to be safe. So we thought, okay, well, if they're selling these at a dollar twenty five a piece, right? And you've got ten a minute. That's twelve fifty a minute just on these ice cream sales. Extrapolate that out for the hour. I mean, you're looking day, at a, yeah. a serious chunk of change there. And especially if that hour we're talking about here is that you know either the lunch hour. Or the uh, like after school sort of like picking up from after school uh, hour. That's a lot of money. Um, and so if your machine is down, that that really doesn't pack your sales. And so what this article does go into detail about is uh, not only how complex these machines are, but because of how complex these machines are, um, people have been frustrated with them and trying to figure out ways to. Uh, oh, and there's a great picture um, of some of the the internals of the machine. So you have these little gaskets that have to be repositioned um, after they're taken out, I believe, after so every two weeks. Two weeks? Mm -hmm. Yes. They have to, either, they have a, a cleaning, uh, if you can keep it on the screen while I, I talk about this yeah. really quick. Um, they have a cleaning um, uh, system, a cleaning uh, mode on, on their on the freezers. And so um, it, that, that cycles and, and cleans a lot of the stuff, but you, despite that, have to clean these specific pieces. I don't know if you can zoom in on it, um at all here but um it the um, the pieces go from these sort of long tubes and big sort of shafts to small little nuts and bolts um and little gaskets and if you don't position them right if you forget them if you lose them in this cleaning process you're screwed you the machine will not work and uh you will then have to you know call maintenance and um the franchise locations have been almost ordered by McDonald's to have these service contracts with uh, the tailor, uh, the company that makes these uh, machines so that they can come in and, and uh, repair. Apple takes a cut of that. Um, and, and these... McDonald's uh, takes a cut of that, not Apple. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah, I you, said said, McDonald's. you said Apple. Oh, I did? Oh, yeah, no I was worries. thinking of McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, I could see Apple getting a cut of it for some reason too, but uh, I digress. <laughs> so McDonald's takes a cut of it. Um, and so now you, you start building this really uh, unfortunate case where you have these uh, franchise owners where they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on these machines. Um, they have to then go into contracts with, uh, you know, verified uh, people that can fix their machines. And uh, they don't really know what's going on with their machines because this company is very secretive about it. Um, and they don't really give a good diagnostics panel. And so now, uh, uh, we bring in this, uh, this, this thing called a kitsch, this little device. And, uh, what this is, is, um, this little device powered by a Raspberry Pi and it plugs into your, uh, Taylor ice cream machine and it's able to get 
all kinds of diagnostic data um, and it plugs in and is able to route that wirelessly to this app with this supposedly good UI that's able to tell its users all kinds of information about their freezers, what's going on and specifically what's going on, not just, you know, oh, your freezer's down or your your auger doesn't work or whatever the piece is. No, it, it gives you very specific information, proprietary insights, actually the perfect, uh, a, a good way to put it, especially, you know, their website right there puts it really nicely. Um, per, you know, they, they're able to, to do this with these, these freezers. Um, or these uh, escrow machines. And so you, you have a lot of these uh, franchise owners that, that saw this technology and went, oh, wow, well, if we can keep our machines running, you know, for a cost of, I believe it's, uh, they were giving device free for the first six months and then a subscription service of $10 for the next, for first the months after um, or per month, um, paying $120 a year to be able to know about your, uh, your moneymaker I think it's pretty important. And so you had a lot of franchisees uh, go to this company and buy this product. Well, unfortunately, um, because McDonald's and, and Taylor are the way they are, um, they tried to sabotage uh, this company um, and they tried to uh, reverse engineer this product and they've done that successfully. Um, and they have their own version of this now. And uh, now what we have is this, this company, uh, Kitsch, is now trying to sue, uh, what is it, Taylor or, or, or McDonald's? I, I don't think um, it mentions anything about any legal proceedings actually starting yet. Uh, but it's I not starting they, yet, but I believe they're, they are, um, they're getting they're ready claiming, to. yeah, so they're getting ready to, to for the suit. And essentially, it's all around the right to repair and the right to know um, about the machine that you have, about the diagnostics of it, about all the inner machinations of it. Um, McDonald's has its stance, and so does Taylor, and the the owners, the franchisee owners, have their own stance, and so it's going to be a real interesting uh, unfolding events here to see what goes on, what what gets ruled, if anything does get ruled, um, if it doesn't, or you know, get settled out of court. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, Fitz, because there's a lot around this story. Well, there there is a ton to unpack here. Um, well, like, like you said, uh, the main issue here is right to repair and whether somebody who purchases a machine in this case, an ice cream machine for $18,000 needs to be forced by the, um, manufacturer to use all of their stuff, all of their support warranties, or be able to not access certain features within the machine that would tell them the part to replace, um, because with, with this system, basically what the system does is it unlocks the menus and the, it basically acts as if it's a technician connecting to the unit, um, and then just displaying that data to you rather than you calling the technician to do the exact same thing. Um, it just sits within the device and actually pulls that data. Um, I am very, very much so, um, I support the right for, um, people to repair the things they own, to work on the things they own. But I also do see the point of manufacturers not wanting to um, tarnish the, the their brand, their products uh, with out-of-market out repairs. I understand that they have a certain quality that they need to meet, and by using the quality technicians and the people who they've trained to work on these machines the right way, that provides the best service to them. However... 
I don't feel as though that needs to be something that is required for you to use the machine. And that's the big issue here, because these service contracts are required for the McDonald's franchise owners to use that machine. And it's thousands of dollars a month uh, for them to have the machine, have the support agreement, and call a, a technician when something breaks. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, and, and I think I alluded to this earlier, and I, I really do fully support the right to repair, the right to modify, you know, purchase equipment. Um, and it should not be mandated. It should not be, in my own opinion, should not be mandated or should not be, you know, made difficult by the manufacturer for the consumer to do that. And this is not the first time we've heard or seen this happening. Um, I think the number one products or, or the number one company that people do rage against the machine on um, would be Apple. They've made their devices so complex and so um, small and, 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 and so perfect, right? And difficult that, to open or... Yeah, that, they make, that they've inadvertently made it very difficult to repair. And so now you have, you, you have this company, Apple, saying, okay, well, you can only get it repaired with us or one of our, you know, uh, trusted support people. And it can still be very expensive to do that versus just going to a local shop to get a, a repair done. I actually did that with my iPhone um, last fall. My, my port was faulty. I couldn't, not only was the coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, making it difficult to get in, in, into an Apple store for a, a Genius Bar appointment, but um, it was also just way too expensive to go to an Apple store or to go to one of their support people. So I ended up going just to a local shop where they repaired my, my port for like 50 bucks. Um, but, but it's so hard. And, and again, Apple's not the only company. John Deere um, has been under sort of fire for this as well to upgrade their, their machines and, and do sort of modifications of machines. You have to go directly to John Deere. Um, and if you mod your, your, uh, your tractor, your, your tractor, yeah. you basically void your warranty. Um, and, it's it's tough to then get help um, from there even on. Though, even so, though there's there's things that could be software limited on the on the tractor that doesn't allow you to do certain things within the tractor itself, and exactly sim similar case here too, where you have the the Taylor machine here being software limited to not do certain things because of the manufacturer not enabling those options. I well. I it's, understand it's, it's, it's not like just a, a it's not just the limitations, but it's also it's also they're not giving users the ability to access the information too. It's yeah. They in in the uh, the article they actually start out saying like, uh, press the cone icon on the screen, uh, tap the button that shows a snowflake and a milkshake, set the digits on the screen to five, then two, then three, then one. After that precise series, no fewer than sixteen button presses, a menu magically unlocks for you to. Uh, with this cheat code, you can access the machine's vital signs, everything from viscosity, uh, setting its milk and sugar ingredients to the temperature or the glycol flowing through its heating element. Like it's, it's, it, things, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's manufacturers trying to hide information from you about the thing that you own. Um, in a lot of cases, the manufacturers say it's for simplicity, making sure you, you know, know the product, but I don't think in in my personal opinion that it should be limited because it's advanced uh you're going to have the people 
like like the guy who's earning or the the guy who's been working at McDonald's for two weeks working with the machine as well as the the seasoned technician like it's they're both going to be the same people you you could have a simple mode and you could have an advanced mode like those are those are two different two different things you're designing for two different target audiences but at the same time you need to be able to accept both of those use cases as valuable and warranted for the product that somebody just spent eighteen thousand dollars on exactly i mean it's it's you're gatekeeping information about the device that you own and are saying okay only only the people that we allow you to to go to that you have to pay that you have no choice to but pay only they can access this information um and to me that's absurd especially it's especially ludicrous because of how much you have to pay for this device. $18,000. I mean, yeah, it's very capable. It's very, I don't want to say state of the art because I don't believe it's state of the art, but I, it's I very know. complex and complicated, but it's also one of their top of the line models. So I understand why they price it so highly, but for that price to be so high and there to be so much gatekeeping behind the software for it, behind the inner workings of it, to me, that's absurd. Right. And like I said, it's it's one thing for a manufacturer to ensure quality, to ensure the product is working correctly. It's another thing to prevent somebody who wants to fix their own thing from doing it in a logical way and forcing somebody in order to use the product that they just paid for to buy a subscription to use it. Um, in a lot of cases, we see that with um, like uh, internet service providers or things like that. But I feel like that's a very different case because they are providing you the continual service that is the product itself and the mm. hardware that you have in your house, whether that be their router or their modem or whatever, is the means by which that service is provided. In this case, they aren't providing the ice cream itself. They're, the machine is providing the ice cream itself, and they're merely ensuring that the machine is able to provide said service. That's like the Comcast guy just showing up at your house and looking at your router and being like, yep, it's good. Like, yeah, Ugh, it bug and that bugs me so much too. Don't even get me started on that one. Oh my goodness, the whole idea of oh we'll give you a time to come to your house, and it could be you know a six hour window. Oh god, gosh. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, like I said, the with with an ISP, they're giving you the service itself. Like the product is the service itself. In this right. case, with with the the ice cream machine, the product is the produced ice cream from the machine the machine is the means in which to produce the ice cream and the um service contract that goes along with that is merely to keep the machine running um you're not it's it's not the machine being serviced by this exact person at this exact time with this exact part is not essential for the continual production of ice cream correct and that's, Correct. that's, that's, that's the issue that I have where it's like, it, it, I can't have, I can't have an AT&T guy show up at my house to fix a Comcast router. Like that's just, just not how it works. Yeah. But, um, with this, like I can, I can go in there and I could 3d print a part or something that I could fix and fix that part instead of paying Taylor two grand for some part or something like that. But, um, 
it's it's just... well, you you, you got to be careful there because I I will make a, a broad assumption only because I think this is probably a good assumption to make. Fitz, I I would assume that most McDonald's franchise owners do not own a 3D printer that they can just 3D <laughs> print parts to their their eighteen thousand dollar Taylor ice cream machine. Um, maybe right. it's a, a purchase that they'll ha- eventually have to make later on. And I'm not um, I'm not saying that that's that's <laughs> every single use case. But think about think about a power user or somebody who's very technical or even other like like plumbers or ap- appliance repair guys that that just do this as a living. They they are they may be endorsed by a couple manufacturers as like authorized servicers, but probably not for an enterprise grade machine such as this. Um, it would be cost effective for a McDonald's employee to be able to go and hire uh, Joey repairman who's really good at, at fixing everything else at that McDonald's factory or that, that McDonald's uh, franchise and uh, fix that machine as well. So I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I could see from the manufacturer's point of view why they would want that, but I just don't think that it's great um, for consumers to be locked into it. I think, I think, yeah, I, I think that's a very good way of, of kind of putting it. I think you're right. There is a sort of responsibility that manufacturers have to their consumers that they make sure and ensure that their products work correctly. However, I think in this case, when you add on that extra layer of um, that that subscription sort of fee, let's call it, or that service fee, um, where it's recurring and you're required to pay for it, not only um, because you own the machine, but also just because you have to. Like, they're, they're, you don't have a choice. You, your machine could be working perfectly. You could be, for example, and God, if this McDonald's exists, I want to know the location of it because I will be going there every day. But if there exists a location, of a McDonald's location, that it never experiences a breakdown in, in their machines, then they're essentially throwing away money monthly or whatever the, the period is um, to make sure that in the event where it it uh, it breaks down, that they're able to get it serviced. It's almost like uh, paying insurance. In it's way, almost like yes. paying insurance. Um, but... But your claims I, cost I, a lot more than the actual insurance itself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it's very much like insurance. Um, but but um, unlike, you know, unlike you having a higher probability of getting in a car accident, you're probably going to have, you know, a low probability if your machine works properly um, of, of breakdowns. Not only if, uh, you know, you know your parts are working, but if you know more about it, uh, and this goes back to the whole kitsch um device they have in order to look at these diagnostics and and the right to be able to um not modify maybe it is modifying your device i mean would you consider that modifying modifying it or 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 i mean what what would you consider that i would consider i would actually consider that modifying it just because um depending on how they actually hook up with the the uh the boards in there unless it's literally just a plug and play, like, all right, place this connector onto this area. Um, I think you, you may have an issue um, because in, in uh, one of the pictures on this article here, they, they show the, um, the unit itself, the, the little kitsch unit thingy itself. Um, let me see if I could find it real quick here. Here it is. Um, basically they, they show the unit itself and they have these two connectors on it right here. And, 
Um, in my experience, that looks very, very similar to what's called an FTDI to USB adapter. And basically what that allows you to do is it connects onto a, like a jumper wire on the circuit board and uh, basically allows you to talk to the circuit board uh, directly. And then you plug it into a USB port and do whatever with that data. In mm. that case, I feel as though if your modifications can be instantly removed, like you could just go boop and you can unplug it, I see no issue. But if it's one of the things where it's like, all right, you got to literally take some components off the board, put it back on, uh, like solder this part here. Like that's that's very different from literally plugging in a uh, uh, something to an outlet in a, in a way. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think um, and, and I, I suppose I could know more about it, but my stance on it is um when you're adding the system to it, you were, uh, you, you're trying to just get more information out of it. You're not trying to destroy it. Right. And it would be different if the, uh, the, the franchisee uh, owners were trying to add different, for example, like tubes or, uh, different the other flavors um, or, like, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or just like physical components, trying to actually modify, um, the device itself, not, you know, add another feature to it like this. Um, so I guess I would take the same stance as maybe Apple, um, except maybe a, a different stance uh, or a modified stance. So I, I would say this: if you're trying to, if you're trying to just get the diagnostics out of your device, for example, a specific example of this, this you know, um, ice cream machine, you you just want more control, more more control the information, right? Um, to be able to know about you know what's going on with it, even if you have to have this service contract, right? Um, that should not be a problem. This right. this putting this device in there should not be a problem. Um, I I can see what could be a problem would be if you do that. You could say, okay, well, um, you are now voiding your your warranty with us, and if you do that, then we we cannot service it, and you'll have to buy a new machine. Like maybe making that like a new policy moving forward. Um, I'm I'm gonna interrupt you real quick right there. I 100% agree with that. Like if a manufacturer, if you want to modify a device and a manufacturer is like, all right, this device is no longer part of our supported network. This is no longer what we were, we are allowing you to do with the device. We will, we are hands off on it. I support that. Like if, if a manufacturer wants to say, all right, you, you added this thing that we, we, we don't support. We're not going to service it. Distance yourself from the situation. That is fine but that's a risk that the person modifying the machine has to know and has to take. It's fully accept, I, I right? feel like, yeah, you have to fully accept that risk. Like I could, I could see that being a lot more of a compromise in, in a situation like this, rather than you are forced to buy the service contract. You are forced to get this warranty. You are forced to um, do whatever we we want you to do and you can't do anything with that machine to bring it out of our, our specified specifications. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I don't know. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours for this, this article here. Um, but it is definitely an interesting read brings a ton of, um, 
uh, interest into the right to repair movement come up. Uh, there's a lot of resources on YouTube for right to repair information. I would highly recommend watching a couple videos by Lewis Rossman. Uh, he is very, very, very adamantly right to repair, uh, also supporting iFixit. That also helps with uh, right to repair stuff as well. Um, but I, I'm very much so in support of a right to repair compromise in a situation where manufacturers allow people uh, to make modifications to their devices with, uh, without preventing them from making those modifications with acceptable risk. So that, that's my stance on it. Yeah, I'm, I'll let go. Just, yeah, I agree. I think it's fair. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's time where we, as consumers, stand up to these big tech companies and these big organizations and say, we will no longer be subject to, subject to your smoke and mirrors terms of service. We want the right to repair our own devices. We want, we want the right to know what's going on with our devices so that we can make informed decisions as consumers um, as to how best to move forward with this. You know, if you, if you void a, a warranty and you break your thing, that's on you. Then if you, you know, you got to buy a new device, whether it's an iPad, whether it's, you know, a tracker in case John Deere or, you know, this, this $18,000 ice cream machine. But, but it still um, remains that the, the fact of it is the consumers want more control over the products that they buy. And I think it's high time and it's coming to the point where there's going to be a big uh, right to repair movement. It's only going to gain more traction and it's only going to be more and more uh, mainstream. So we'll see where this, uh, where this ends up going. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Great way of putting that. I'd also add to the uh, people who know the risk, take their own risk, do the, do the things they want to do with their device and aren't being forced into not getting as much potential as they know they could get out of it. Um, so that's, that's where I definitely think uh, there will be a ton more uh, in the future looking for this. And uh, we will be following this situation closely as it develops and other uh, right to repair issues as well. Um, so I, Matt or uh, Grizzlo, I'd like to thank you uh, once again for coming out today. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Very nice episode. We were on for uh, like an hour and 25 minutes here, but uh, I'm, it, it is a lot of fun and uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to chat. So um, no better way. I'd rather spend my Sundays or Sunday mornings, I suppose. All righty. Well, thank you all for joining us today on Tech Talk Nation. Uh, I'm Matt Fitzgerald, and this is Matt Grislow. And uh, thank you guys so much for coming and tune in next week for more. All Thanks, right. everyone. Thank you for listening to Tech Talk Nation. Tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech.